And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. You know, a lot of you listening are interested wanting and needing capital at early stages. And while that's one really important part of building and growing a business, startups and businesses raise capital at all different stages. That's exactly what we're going to talk about during today's episode. Now, before we do that, I want to let you know that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Our Crowd. Our Crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion. That's 1B, people. That's all the commas so far and and they're doing it in fast growing tech companies have benefited from companies having ipos like beyond meat or being bought by companies like intel nike microsoft and oracle today our crowd is investing in medical technology breakthroughs in ad tech and food production the robotic industry and so much more accredited investors can join the fastest growing venture capital community at ourcrowd.com forward slash hustle. Don't forget the forward slash hustle people because I need our crowd to keep paying us to do these episodes. There is a link in the show notes. It's so easy. Just go down and click it. They have a really cool site. With me today, I have a doctor a real doctor, people, Dr. Terry Freel. And she told me I say her name like for, for real. So Terry Freel, she is the CEO of Doctus. And you go to doctusinc.com, much like ourcrowd.com. There's a link for that in the show notes too. So click it. Doctor, I have so many things that may need diagnosis. But before we get into that, welcome to Startup Hustle. Hey, Matt, thanks for inviting me. It's really great to be here today. I appreciate it. Now let's let's let the world know about your backstory and what brought you to being the CEO of Doctus and you know and, and here talking with me today about how we're gonna raise at any stage. Sure. Um well backstory for me is I have four engineering degrees. I was the dean of the business school at Roosevelt University. And when I essentially retired from academia, I began working with a startup company helping startups to figure out how to raise money. And this was mostly in Chicago, Illinois. So we worked with a lot of investors in Chicago in all different industries. So I've probably put several hundred startup companies in front of investors uh, over the four years I was working there. So it was a great job and very interesting and a lot of fun to do. That's a, so, yeah, a little a, piece. <laughs> As as I mentioned in the intro, you know, so many people that listen to this show or that we interface with or we talk to personally, I mean, raising capital is always the big the big thing. You know, how do I do it? How what do I need to do? And everyone's focused on that earliest stage, but there's so many things between that first round and getting another one, or or can you, will you, when should you? 
where do you want to start with all this? Like, like I said, it's like, you can raise at any stage. And so, you know, it's, we're focused on the beginning. Like, is that where we start or are we focused on like what we should look for later? I mean, doctor, tell me what, what we should do. Well, honestly, I think that the, the adage that I learned at Procter and Gamble has always helped me my whole life. I worked for Procter and Gamble for five years and basically they said results speak for themselves. So if, if you have a question about, you know, uh, can I raise money? What do I need to do? You need to look at your results and, and look at what the investors are expecting. Those results will tell you, based on what the investors are expecting, when you can go back to them and talk to them. So, um, you know, that's how I kept my job at, at Roosevelt for six years. I, I made sure that I, I produced the results by hook or by crook. I got it done. So that's kind of what an uh, entrepreneur needs to be doing. So let's define results because results, they can mean a lot of different things. You know, if you are like, for example, Snapchat. So Snap wasn't even generating revenue yet and they were a billion dollar company, but results for them weren't revenue. They were user signups or how many people came back every day or whatever. What are, what are, what are, let's, let's throw some results out that, for those listening. Obviously generating revenue is number one uh, in most cases, but what are some of the others? Well, I would say your growth percent, how you're, how fast you're growing month over month. Is that happening? Uh, how many new customers are you getting every month? Also, how many customers are you retaining? Are you, are get, are you getting some lifetime revenue out of those customers that are joining or, or are they leaving and you're having to replace them month after month? So how hard is it to, to grow your business uh, with your customers? And that can be both for non-revenue and, and revenue companies, right? If you're just trying to get users. Um, another one would be, um, you know, what are you paying the people that are working for you? If you're overpaying them, investors are going to get kind of touchy about that. So you need to look at, you know, those kinds of outcomes as well. What's on your expense side? Are your expenses going up faster than your revenue? How, what's your profit margin doing? How fast is that, is that growing? So, I mean, that's just, a, you know, a quick list off the top of my head of something that an investor would look at. And if those things aren't happening well, they're just going to sit back and say, I'm going to wait and see. I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I like the generalized growth percentage, you know, like grow whatever it is that you're doing and figure that out. Yeah. Now, I think you have a really great point here because everyone's so focused on that side of things, but saving money is making money. And, uh, you know, while businesses usually in the early stages kind of kick down the door, shoot everywhere and then ask for names, but you can't always do that. You got to eventually get smart and you got to do things better, faster, cheaper. Now, when it comes to competing, you know, at, at, at most schools, and I always joke because you have four degrees. I've, you have, you are, if you had one more degree, you would have as many degrees as colleges that I dropped out of. Um, and, you know, but I went to it, I've draw, I was in them long enough before I quit to know that you have, when it comes to better, faster, cheaper, you need to be aces at at least two out of three of those to really get a leg up, preferably three out of three. But if you aren't better, faster, or cheaper than the competition or getting there operationally, you, you're going to have problems. Now, one of the things that you brought up I thought was pretty interesting is you're talking about like employee expense. So my, my company, Full Scale, and you go to fullscale.io, we specialize in helping people build offshore teams. 
so they can dollar cost average that down. And an interesting statistic is companies that use offshore and outsource employees actually raise capital at a higher rate. And I think that's just because the burn rate's a little more efficient and people recognize that. Uh, what are some other things that, you know, you have so much, uh, and once again, go to docdisinc.com and see what Terry's up to with, with the advisory stuff. But um, what are some, what are some other things that, that, uh, that, that startups can do that's going to make them attractive when it comes to that, that, that expense reduction? Well, you know, as you move away from the startup phase, the investors are looking for someone who's a really smart business person. So I think, you know, it's, it's really not surprising that, that companies that have used offshoring are, are getting some investment because they look like they're doing things to make the business run well. Um, you know, if, if you're just going to hot dog it and, and spend a bunch of money and just, you know, go for the revenue without thinking about the expense side, you're not being a good business person. And essentially, you're not going to be a good steward for the money that they're giving you. That's, that's the conclusion that they're going to end up drawing over time. They have to see that, you know, the, their investment is really an investment and not just pouring money down a black hole. So, you know, that's, that's what I would say. And, and by the way, I do have five degrees, but only four of them are in engineering. I have a degree in French. So, so we've ah, met. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I stand corrected, doctor. I stand corrected. So, oh, it's funny. I, you know, I, I oftentimes hit stop on record and I'll go down to, cause I've been doing this from home for about a year and a half and I'll go, my wife and my kids will be downstairs and she'll be like, how's your day going? I'm like, Oh, I just recorded a podcast with a guy that's got like three doctorates from Princeton. And, you know, I'm, my, my mind is, is going back into its normal form after trying to keep up with that. So I have a big appreciation for that. Okay, so we talked about- I do want to say, before you go on, I do want to say and congratulate you because you made a really salient point that we teach in operations management in the graduate school that quantity, cost, and quality are three aspects that you can compete on. And only two of which can you excel in. So you have to decide if you're going to compete on quality um, and quantity, then you can't compete on cost. There's there's just no way to do all three really well. There's always going to be a trade-off. And you made that point earlier. It's it's often really impossible to do all three. So focusing your attention right. on what you can do well and then flying with that is really important. Right. And, you know, that's a similar principle to, you know, a lot of and and you and I may be appropriately aged to reference Jack Welsh, you know, mm -hmm. and, and some of his principles. And uh, so Neutron Jack, as he was referred to, was uh, I believe became the chairman of GE and GE does like everything. And he started looking at all these different units and all these different divisions. And he quickly realized, he's like, if we're not number one or two in this space, we need to liquidate it and get out of here. Because, and here's the thing, if you're not number one or number two or getting ready to be in your space, you immediately have problems. And savvy, experienced investors recognize that pretty quickly. Because, you know, you say like, okay, you talk about who's number three, like who's the number three uh, razor blade maker? No one knows because there isn't one. It's Gillette <laughs> or Schick. Like in those, yeah. and you know, it's so in that, but that's why it gets hard to penetrate into markets. And for those raising at early stages, you know, we talk, we're here to talk about any stage. That's something you need to consider because if there's two, okay, you're, you're going to hear, all right, sometimes we play this new game we invented called Things VCs Have Said to Me. There's an 800 pound gorilla in this room. 
you know, and they're referring to some well-funded, well-funded competitor. Now, if you have two of those in the room, that's going to be a problem when it comes to get to the early stages. Cause you're going to hear things like, Oh, this space is really crowded. You got to compete with these big, big kids. And you know, a lot of stuff like that. Now, I, what I want to talk about is, all right, so we're talking, oh, things are going well. They're accelerating our growth rate, yada, yada, yada. What about when it's not going well? How do we, how do we, how do we talk about that? Because when I hear the word projection, I just hear wrong. That's like mm-hmm. what projections mean to me because they're always wrong. They're wrong 100% yeah. of the time. Like yeah. for real, they are. So sometimes when you talked, to, you were talking earlier about meeting the expectations what do we do about raising them when we're not getting there? Or like, I mean, I can only imagine how many projection charts just went in the shredder after 2020 as well. So how do you recommend handling that and approaching that? Well, I, one of the things I want to say is that a lot of entrepreneurs think that any sale is a good sale. And so they get they can get themselves into a lot of trouble by getting too spread out and trying to generate revenue in ways that they're not really prepared to do, thinking that that is going to make their business look better because they've got more money coming in. But often I used to teach I teach operations and management. And, and what I always said was any new variety is going to cost you more money than you expect. So it's probably going to take a dip in your profit margin. And and that is a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make. Oh, look, we can make this sale. Um, looks like. Sorry, we lost you there for a second. Go ahead. And I popped in and said my connection problems. So anyway, <laughs> the point is, don't don't assume that any sale is a good sale. Stick to your knitting, be focused and, and drive the, the sales up that way. That's, that is going to convince the investors that you really know what you're doing. Now, if it's not working right, then you need to take a step back and say, are we doing, are we in the right business? Do we need to pivot? Was there something that's not going right? Go out and talk to your, your customers and find out what the heck is going on and why your results aren't, aren't being produced the way you think they should. Oh, are you still there? Wow. I lost you for a second. Oh, wow. Sorry about that. Well, that wasn't so, great. Yeah. Um, All right, can hang you hear on. Me? So we are actually recording. Hang on, let me make some notes yeah. so we can chop this out of there. All right, so <laughs> I apologize for those of you listening that are wondering what the hell are Matt and Terry doing? Uh, the internet is sometimes not our friends. So hang with us here for a second. All right. So, you know, we're talking about how to raise money when things aren't going well. And Terry, you know, you give a really amazing point when it comes to a lot of this. I was having a conversation yesterday with the founder whose business I've made a significant investment in, and he's preparing to, or we, and he are preparing to raise more capital in regards to that. And as we're preparing that presentation, he did something and said something that drives me crazy. He's like, well, here's like, gave me like five things that we're going to be great at. And I was like, okay, you can pick one, right? pick one thing that we're going to be aces at. And that's what we're rolling with. And that's how we're presenting this. And then we'll say, and after we're great at this, we're going to consider possibly being great at this next thing. But I think one of the the fatal flaws that a lot of people make when raising money or even just starting a business in general is trying to be good at too many things. And you really kind of solidify that point. You're just watering it all down. Right. 
Right. And the other problem is that entrepreneurs tend to think that they can do it all. Are you having trouble hearing Hang on. me again? Sorry, we're having some technical difficulties here. I don't have a sound from Terry, so. <clears throat> okay. Matt. Hello. Gosh darn it. Matt, can you hear me? I can see you. Weird. Can you hear me now, Matt? This is very strange. Matt, can you hear me? Hmm. Well, I still have nothing. We're going to edit this out. I don't have any sound from you, Terry. Like, I don't have anything. It's like it's muted. Huh. I tried reading. Does that help? I got it now. All right. Yeah. For, for whoever's editing this, we are going to jump back in. So hang on just a second. And I lost your video. We don't need the video if you don't need it. I turned the camera off on purpose to try to use. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. All right. So for who, for whomever's editing, we're getting ready okay. to jump back in. All right. So here we're back. Sorry, we had a couple little technical difficulties there, but oh, you know boy. we got through it. So much much like a startup and building a business, you're gonna have some glitches and you're gonna <laughs> have some problems. Now, you know, I I feel at this point I'm almost famous for saying all businesses have problems. You know, I've said that so much in in the regard now. Um, you know, I think the investors understand that when it comes to getting ready to raise in, in, in future stages, Terry, how important is it to really just kind of wear your, wear your shortcomings as a badge of honor and say, Hey, we're going to fix this. Or do you not bring those up? Well, I, you know, one of the things I used to say is never bring your boss a problem, always bring them solutions. So if you have a problem, know what the solution is. Don't just dump the problem in the investor's lap. Um, that's, you know, here's, you know, and it can be, here's what I'm thinking we'll do. What do you think? Give me your best advice. You know, how can we tweak this? If you're using your investor as your advisory. Um, I would also say that, you know, was I, where I was going before we got cut off is that a lot of entrepreneurs make the mistake of trying to do everything themselves. Of course mm -hmm. you can, of course you can do it. And early on you're, you have to, but you have to learn how to let go. And a lot of young entrepreneurs do not know how to let go of pieces of the business and find people that can do the work for them that are qualified to do it. And that's, that's another issue of, you know, when do I hire the right person and who is that right person? And when should I stop trying to be everything to everything? Um, and that's, you know, it takes a little bit of wisdom and an, uh, an investor is going to be seeing that they're going to watch you tearing your hair out, trying to do everything, thinking this person isn't ready to run a company because they don't even know that they can't do it all anymore. So, you know, those are signals that investors are going to be looking for. Yeah, and I think that, I think you, you hit the nail right on the head. I think one of the things and, you know, I've, I've talked to people that I'm advising or helping with this and it's like, so when you're trying to do everything yourself, 
you're usually not doing the things that you should be doing or the things mm -hmm. that are of the highest value at the company. And I see this a lot because this is what you're talking about with this growth process. And look, this is okay when you're like two people in an extra bedroom in your home right? Like, and the, like, that's going to happen. You're going to need to do a lot of stuff. But some of the best advice I think I, I give people in this regard is you got to find all you got to start putting a assigning some kind of value to the effort and energy that you're expending towards the business. And when I when I say that, meaning like you're, I, I oftentimes see founders and companies that are growing pretty quickly, they're trying to hang on and they're spending so much time just trying to get to the next step or get through all the chaos that they just do everything because it feels like it's too much to stop and either teach someone else how to do it or get some help. And then really in the end, you end up with these people that are just doing these, you know, doing things that the replacement value on it is like 15 bucks an hour for like a intern or something like that. And, you know, these are things when it comes to growing in the end, if you're not creating something that's bigger than you, meaning like something that, that can live, operate and grow without you, then you're not creating much of a business. You kind of created yourself a job and, and that's not, not the greatest place to be. Now, uh, before we get into the next part of this episode, I want you to know that all around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving in returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, and then they bring them to you. If you're interested in investing, join our crowd. Go to ourcrowd.com forward slash hustle. There's a link in the show notes. Go, go check the platform out, people. It's really cool. You know, it's free to sign up and you can go check it out and see what they're doing. We're talking about raising capital here. And one of the neat things with the modern marketplace is, you know, 10 years ago, things like our crowd didn't exist. You couldn't crowdfund equity because it wasn't allowed. And now you have all these really interesting platforms and devices as founders and as investors you can go check out. So at a minimum, use the link in the show notes and go check out what they're doing. And it's, it's a cool site and you can see what other people are doing and they're raising big, big, big money in there. So you know, one, of the, one of the things that I don't think we got to the bottom of yet, Terry, because we had some, the internet was, was tormenting us, was raising capital when things aren't going right. And um, you know, like I want to expand a little more on that approach. Cause I think a lot of companies get stuck doing what I call middling, meaning like you're in the middle, you're not failed. You're not like the, the bell of the ball. You're just stuck in the middle. And that's the hardest place to raise capital. Do you agree? Yeah, I absolutely do. Because it's hard to figure out how to sell yourself. I, I, and it, and it depends on, I mean, several things can cause that middling effect, Right. We've talked, we've touched on them. Entrepreneurs thinking any sales, good sales, so they've spread themselves too thin, or entrepreneurs running the company all themselves and not delegating and not knowing how to delegate to grow the company. Um, you know, not realizing that they've hit a, a plateau and not realizing they need to pivot. All of those things are symptoms, are, you know, effects that cause this middling symptom. And the entrepreneur needs to be aware of that and figure out, okay, what do I need to do to get out of that? You mentioned earlier that everything, you know, is a guess and you just throw that guess out. Well, I, I just want to reiterate to you the fact that every major corporation is operating on a guess as well. I mean, no one can predict the future. So we're all putting together a, our best guess estimate of what the budget is. But major corporations are doing worst case scenario, best case scenario. And I really think that young entrepreneurs, if they would do something like that, 
think about, you know, what could happen, what could slow us down, what could accelerate us, we'll begin to think in a more forward thinking way and, and be able to more rapidly get themselves out of that middling because they know, hey, what happens if this worst case situation happens? They know what to do ahead of time. They're not responding to it real time. They're responding to it by thinking ahead, you know, where they're going to go if this situation arises. So like you said, they're, they're not really forecasting and thinking about where their company's going to go. They're just responding to everyday pressures and, and, and doing what needs to be done today rather than thinking about what needs to be done tomorrow. And, and that tomorrow thinking is what's going to impress an investor. So even if you're in the middling situation, if you have these three scenario types of budgets and you say, here's what's been happening, we kind of forecasted that that could happen. And here's our plan for getting out of that right now. So, you know, that that to me as an investor would impress me that this person is not going to be stuck spinning their wheels trying to figure out what to do next. They've already anticipated that and they're already on how to get out of that out of that hole. So I, I find founders a lot that feel like, you know, look, it's your, it is, while it's your responsibility to, to generate and work with your investors and shareholders, in my opinion, it's your, it's your job more to work for the company and, and its employees. I find a lot of founders feel overly beholden to the investors, meaning like the investors, whoever they are, for whatever reason, are putting a ton of pressure on the founder or you know, whatever, you know, sometimes, and quite honestly, a lot of times not giving them great advice. How important is it to, to, in your opinion, to, to, you know, answer to and do or take courses of action that your shareholders seem to be shaking sticks at you to do? Well, that all kind of goes back to making sure that you pick the right investors, right? I mean, if you pick an investor who thinks that they're going to be in charge of your company because they gave you, you know, $20 million, then maybe that's not the right investor for you. And sometimes, you know, the smartest folks have walked away from big offers of money because they could see that that's what was going to happen. But say you are in that situation, you need to sit down and have a heart to heart with that person. I mean, get used to it. If you're going to be on, on Wall Street, if you're going to take your company through an IPO, guess what? You're going to have quarterly earnings calls and you're going to be beholden to people that are going to ask crazy things. Figure out how to diplomatically say that's not something that we can do at the moment. I appreciate your advice, but we're going to do this and we may revisit that opportunity in the future. You know, find diplomatic ways to to set aside advice that you think might not be the best advice, but give it its due because it could be the best advice you've gotten. So, you know, there's two sides of that coin. You may think that it's the absolute wrong thing to do, and it may be absolutely the right thing. And you're just blind to the, to the things that they know that you don't know. So it's, it's a hard job, you know, it's, no one says it's going to be a cakewalk just because you got money doesn't mean, you know, everything's going to work out the way you want it to. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, the words no and next are two of the most valuable words in the English language <laughs> that I've learned when it came to be well, because it's the thing is, is, you know, some people are just that just will ask and ask and ask and ask until you say no. And yeah. so the ability to say no is really important. And then, you know, when it comes to selling stuff, uh, the words sold and next are my two favorite four letter words, because 
you getting stuck on the wrong opportunities. Uh, it's, it sucks the lifeblood out of you and the energy out of you. And, and that's actually, you know what, let's talk about that for a second. So you talk about finding the right investors, um, whether you're uh, savvy to this, this space or not, uh, an investor isn't just an investor. They come with different attributes, qualities, and so on and so forth. Uh, in my opinion, you, you, well, you hear the terms like smart money or dumb money. Dumb money is a check and uh, a wave on the way out the door. And that doesn't really do anything to increase the company. Now, in some cases, there's a lot of founders that would prefer that. Give me a check and get out of the way. And, you know, maybe that's you. But smart money, it, it can not only provide resources, meaning financial resources, but other types of stuff. They can shorten the timeline of getting you in front of potential buyers. They can give you advice, input, and so much that comes along with it. Right. Um, but you just need to find a way to structure it. You know, it's I, I like to always share some wins and losses. I've had a couple uh a couple instances in the history of full scale. So full scale has grown really quick. We have 200 employees after three years and, um, and did that amidst the pandemic. And we've had money come in different directions and not once, but twice I've turned down over 1 million plus dollar offers. Cause it's just like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can work with this person or this situation. And, and, and very, well, one of them just invariably came from like, I don't think this person gets my business you know, and they want to kind of be involved with it, which I'm not opposed to, because I love people to add value, but I don't think you get it. And then another time, and one of the things I think you need to be careful when it, when it comes to raising money is you got a million dollar offer, but uh, written in a few lines down into it, there was a hundred thousand dollar a year management fee. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no. I know. Uh, oh, <laughs> Oh, Terry, I know we just met, but there is no one on this planet that will tell someone to F off on something like that. I literally replied. I'm like, you have literally been wasting my time for this whole thing because never once did you bring this up. And here we are two months later and this is in there. Now, uh, when it comes to raising money, you can you can literally kill the momentum and the focus of your business if you get too distracted at any stage with this process. But at the same time, you got to be focused on it. Right. Where do we, where do we draw a line? Like, how do you, how, how, what's some input or advice for like keeping both the plates spinning? Well, I, you know, as a consultant, I was helping people find investors and putting my uh, entrepreneurs in front of investors. So they didn't have to do that work because it, it does take a lot of time. These, these investors get, you know, thousands of calls every single day and they choose maybe 5% of the calls and you you know you have to entice them you have to seduce them into even listening to your pitch sometimes so that they'll and, and I used to do in the French way, you know, it's like convince them very gently and sweetly that this is something that they would be interested in. But you have to do your research. You you don't know that they'll be interested unless you look at their past investments. If they have a website, read their read their website, understand what they're looking for, understand how much their investment normally is. There's plenty of data out there. So before you walk in the door, you should know about them and they get kind of ticked off if you don't. Um, and you know, if, if you know who they've invested in, you can even <clears throat> contact the people that they have invested in and say, hey, what's this guy like to work for? I mean, you can do some research on that. And if you don't want to do it yourself, hire somebody that will do it for you and come back to you and say, hey, I think this is a good investor that would be interested in your company. Let's approach them and see what we what we can do with them. Um, I've I've had companies that have had investors that were 
you know, for a small amount of money, the biggest pain in the butt you could ever find, you know, sometimes the smaller investors are the worst because they are investing small because they don't have much money to lose and losing that money is critical to them. And then they get scared and, and get really involved. So uh, you have to, you have to ask yourself, you know, what's it worth? I've had, I've had one company that had an investor that um, took 50% ownership of her company when he gave her uh, like $3 million and the company was worth a lot more than that, but he took 50% ownership and she was desperate for money at the time, <coughs> excuse me, and gave him that 50% ownership. And then she couldn't sell the company when she needed to sell because he wouldn't approve the sale. So and there's all kinds of things that can go awry with investors. And like you, you need to read the small print. It'd be careful and and justify that investment. So it's, you know, like a mutual agreement rather than, oh my God, this person has money. They're gonna give it to me. Great. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it and it's gonna be wonderful. You 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 have to be on an equal standing with that person and say, is this money the money that I want? Is this going to work out? It's it's like a marriage because it's a long-term relationship. So, um, you know, be careful. You got, you know, put your results out there and make sure that your company is producing those results. But, um, you know, like, like we said, all sales are not the same. All investors are not the same. You have to do your homework. So I, you know, it's, I more, it's more serious than a marriage. It's actually easier yeah. to get rid of your spouse in most cases than it is your investors uh, or business partners. <laughs> right so, so choose them wisely. I mean, and that really is true. I mean, and that's the thing. And that's, you know, you hear horror stories with this, you know, there's a few telltale red flags that uh, things that people say that when it comes to, um, you know, investment and they don't get it. So first off, investing in your business is not liquid in most cases, unless you're a publicly traded company, meaning like you talk about that small investor that's putting a big chunk of their money in. It's it, them getting they need to know that they're not going to turn around in, in two months and withdraw that or and that it, the difficulty in transferring that equity in many cases might be challenging. Uh, so things like, uh, you know, questions like, well, what what percent return on my money will I get? Uh, that's a, that's a red flag question for me because that tells me you don't get it, you know, or how long is it going to take me to get my money back? It's a great question, man. This is a great question. I'm trying to answer it myself. You know, it's like, you know, so some of that stuff, you know, people ask and and just different things and, and it's because they're used to a traditional or a different kind of investment. Now I want to talk about something else here that you talk about raising money at any stage. And once again, using some real life examples here. So uh, you know, at full scale, I own it with uh, Matt Watson, my business partner, 50-50. We didn't really want other equity-bearing partners, but uh, we had a need for some growth capital. So we actually created our own what is called venture debt, and uh, meaning we created our own lending pool. And we raised just under a million dollars from other people that weren't investors. They were written as lenders, meaning like we kind of created our own bank loan. Why did we do that? A, uh, we didn't want to sell equity because the company was growing so fast. It made it very difficult to determine evaluation. We just didn't really want any other partners either. And then also, 
go show up at a bank when you're a year old and tell them you have 120 employees and $3 million a year in revenue. They don't have a checkbox for that. Uh, banks don't give loans to businesses that are that young. And it's very challenging after 12 months to prove certain things. On top of it, we were a, more of a service company than a tech company. So had to find different types of investors. The easier choice was we literally just, like I said, we created our own what we called venture debt and created promissory notes and borrowed some money from people we knew that went very fast. It went very easy and we've paid people back a nice return. So uh, what are some other creative ways to, to put that you're aware of or, or, or might suggest to, for putting some capital in the account at any stage that isn't necessarily a true investment? Uh, what do they kind of like the debt you say they, they give you uh, cash and you promise a percent return every year. Um, that's like a small loan payment and then um, signify a year that they can get the money back or they can transform that into, into equity. So a convertible note, right? Sure. <clears throat> yep. I mean, that's easy. And I, I, there, you know, there's other, there's other, there's other things too. And it depends on what you do. Like there's a lot of ways, like I'm a big fan of leverage and leverage is taking assets and using them to borrow or create something else or do whatever. And uh, I, I, I always joke about leverage because the business I started that I read about in my book, million dollar bedroom, I funded it with a stack of credit cards from my poker buddies. I mean, and that's, that's how I literally funded the business and paid them some return on that. And they were happy to get the points. So there's some creative ways to see and do things and whatever. And, you know, another thing too, is a lot of businesses, especially when stuck in that middling phase, um, you know, it, it can be a challenge to raise. So sometimes if you have existing relationships with people, you might be able to, to oh, I negotiate prepaid vendor agreements and give them a discount or like do a whole lot of different stuff, uh, you, you know, so <clears throat> which brings the question, how do you know when it's time to raise another round at any stage? Like, cause sometimes you need it and sometimes you don't, by the way, the less you need it, the more people want to give it to you. But Right. Well, I think, I think if you're, if you're hoping for sales to uh, convert into cash so that you can buy supplies for the next sale, you, you might be at a point where you need to raise some, some cash flow so that you can do that. Um, yeah, selling your purchase orders to two companies, that's that's another way to sort of is get through that middling process, but it's expensive, you know, that um, there's probably companies that'll do that for you, but uh, I haven't seen it be all that successful, to be honest with you. Um, digging into your retirement funds, digging into the equity of your home, asking people to do that for you. Those are other ways to, I, I used to have uh, annuities in my retirement funds. You don't have to um, leave the company to get access to annuities. You can make yourself a loan on your own retirement fund and pay yourself back at a very low interest rate. And a lot of people are really unaware of that. So um, that's, that's another way. Yeah, to you have a great, well. you have a great point. It, it's uh, so actually I did that at one point. Um, I, I, uh, you can, you can, and there, and I can't remember the mechanics of it and I'm not a financial advisor or accountant. So I want to give that disclaimer, but you can, mm. there, there, there is a way that you can basically invest your 401k funds in yourself. Yes. Uh, you may have to pay a little bit of penalty for the early withdrawal or slightly, but you can do it. 
And another thing you, you brought up a good point is wherever you're, uh, you might sit, cause a lot of people have sizable 401ks and they're just kind of sitting there and they're 35, you know, they got 25 years until they can do anything with it. In most cases, you can borrow 50% of the balance of your 401k and you will have to start paying that back like every two weeks or, or monthly or something. And usually that's at like a really low rate. It's like four or 5%. Um, some of the other things you mentioned, and this is where you begin to, you know, that's when Dracula's running the blood bank at your business and, you know, you're lined up with your arms extended. But, you know, there's the short term cash flow loans and those. Now, here's the thing is uh, th those are quick and they're accessible. And it just depends, like, what's your equity worth? Like some people, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like in our case, I mentioned in full scale, we didn't, we, the company was growing so fast, we don't want to sell any equity because like, why would we want to sell something for a million dollars today that's going to be worth 4 million in 12 months? And some of these issues that you have, I think you need to determine, like, are they short term? Are they long term? Are they critical? Now, that said, be really, really careful with that lever, people, because if you break it and you're on the wrong side of it, life sucks. It becomes a real challenge to undo that lever. So be careful. But, but you know, I mean, that, those are forms of capital. Um, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned that you had helped a multitude of businesses get in front of investors. What's some advice that you can give in general for just getting in front of investors? Uh for getting in front of them i you know yeah yeah they, these in, uh, investors have all these uh groups that they join and um applying to those groups to do a pitch is often the first step to getting in front of them um the angel investment group in uh kansas city the um Gosh, there, you know, you have to keep your ear to the ground. Ask, ask an investor, do you know of any other investment groups out there? If they tell you no, often they don't like to do referrals, but they might tell you the names of the investment groups. Know what the, you'll have to know what the investment groups are interested in. Sometimes they say, and, and this isn't 100%, sometimes they say, we only invest in med tech, but then, you know, they go and invest in, in home food delivery because it's, kind of related and they think they can make a lot of money at it so they're not hard and fast in their investment uh focus but if you make an application and you're outside their their rules they'll just tell you no out of hand um so yeah the, the, I, those those angel groups they, they they move kind of slow but at the same oh, time yeah. you get in front of a lot of different people Right. Um, I think another thing too, just in general is like, it, it's funny because I've talked to people that seem to be raising capital and it's like, it's a secret. I'm like, you should be telling everyone like, right. how many, how many people, how many people are you friends with on Facebook? You know, uh, I'm LinkedIn. just being honest, like, like put it out there. Link, I, exactly. I have 25,000 connections on LinkedIn, yeah. you know, like yeah. that is theoretically 25,000 people that I can send a comment to or send a message to. And, you know, that's the thing. You got to get resourceful. How bad do you want the money? How bad do you want the capital? Like, talk about it. Let people know. Um, and, you know, one thing we didn't even mention, when you're talking about raising capital, the first place you need to go back to is the well you've already been to, if you've already raised. Right. Go back to your initial investors and say, hey, look, exactly. this is what we're trying to do. Because I will tell you right now, if you go raise capital without them and you didn't give them the opportunity, you're going to have some pissed off investors if the company's doing well. That's a good way to tick off the people <laughs> you've already are. been working with. Because like, you're going to dilute their shares yeah. without... Without giving them the opportunity yeah. to be no, the ones that, that got in. Yeah. Yep. 
Right. And a couple other things that I uh, was thinking of that you could do for money. Um, you were, you mentioned that you can use qualified funds to invest in companies. There is a way that qualified funds can be um, qualified funds as an investment in your company, but you as a company will have to do something with your accountant to make that appear to be qualified funds. So um, you can just transfer directly. You don't even have to make a loan for a meet that, that requirement for being a qualified fund investment. Um, it's, it's maybe That's a little bit I harder, did. but it's I can't, I can't remember, I can't remember what it, I can't remember what it was. And, I, and like I said, you got to look that up, but there was a couple things that we traded around yeah. and then, you know, it was basically like, I was basically buying shares in my own company. Um, and, and gosh, just right. Google it, you know, you, you invest my 401k in a startup, Google that and see what, and see what comes up. Speaking of investing in startups, I want to give a big thanks to ourcrowd.com for helping us bring you today's episode with our crowd accredited investors have access to invest directly, easily, and more importantly, early. So go grab your free account at ourcrowd.com forward slash hustle. And, you know, as I read about accredited investors, one thing I just want to remind everyone of is if you are out there raising money, you need to know what an accredited investor is. Not everybody can put money in your company, like legally, like you might be doing something wrong. So you need to look up what an accredited investor actually is and then, and make sure you're playing by the rules um, these rules have gotten a lot looser and, and e made it easier for just individuals to invest money. Uh, you know, look into things like our crowd. Like, I, I mean, it's, it's shocking. I, I own 10% of a company that's raising money on our crowd right now. And they've got about 50, or, uh, they've got about $50,000 of money coming in. And, you know, there's like, there's just a lot of stuff out there, but if you don't go out and try to do it and you don't try to find it, you're probably not going to get it. Uh, it's just, just pretty much that simple. Uh, as we round out today's episode, Terry, do you have any closing arguments or points or statements that, that you'd like to drive home or mention? Well, since the, the idea is to invest at any stage, I think I'd like to uh, address that is, you know, just be ready at any stage. Don't forget that your deck and your one pager need to be up to date at any given time. Don't don't let them go and then have to like fix them overnight because you have a an opportunity. Keep them like your resume. Keep them up to date all the time. Um, know what your evaluation is. Um, I, I have a, a, a financial system that I use that can estimate your valuation at any point in time. And um, that that valuation is a very important figure. Overstating your valuation or understating it uh, create all kinds of issues for your process. And an investor that hears you have to correct your valuation will question whether you really understand your business. So you know, just be ready for that for that opportunity at any given time. If you are needing cash, you need to be you know set to make a good impression at any point. I think those are all great points. And that's something I've actually went through myself. It's like all this it, 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 to, to adequately prepare for a proper raise, like get your shit together, like have your stuff ready. And you know, I tell people all the time that I'm, that I work with that are helping. I'm like, I'm not putting this in front of anybody until this looks right. You know, <laughs> like, 
it's, it has to be good. Like, look like you know what you're doing here or you're wasting your time. You, with a lot of these folks, you get one shot. You know, like you, you're talking to people that are usually really busy or off or just get a lot of asks. So what are you doing to stand out? Like, why do, why do I want to look at you as opposed to all the other emails in my yeah, inbox? Yeah. And, and, you know, try something different. Like I've recommended to a bunch of people. I'm like, you know, create a pitch video. A one minute video that's got mm -hmm. your pitch in it. Cause I'll be honest, you have a better chance of getting me to watch that than you. I don't want your 60 page business plan on first contact. Like I'm not going to read it. No one is, right. no one's going to read it. Get a great one pager, get your, your point in that initial contact is to get someone's attention. You don't make the sale in the email you do yeah. and you don't. You know, like you might not make the sale in the email, but you're not going to complete a transaction in it. You want to get people's attention. You want to get them. You want to get in front of people and you want the investors invest in people and people that they think are going to be successful. So if you're good at that part of your business, sell it. I, Terry, I've asked anybody that makes investments on this program, all the, all the VCs, everything. Do you, all right, you can pick one, pick the jockey or the horse. And they pick the jockey every single time because <laughs> right. great, great people right. do great things. You can have a very, right. people that aren't great and a great idea. A great and idea so, and really screw it up. So, yeah. gonna fail. so, so gonna fail. you know, one of the things, one of the things <clears> you were saying is that, um, that's the reason I use Gust a lot for my clients. I don't think you'll ever find, get an investment through Gust, but Gust has the discipline of here's where your one pager goes. Here's where your video goes. Here's where your business plan goes. Here's where your financials go and having it all in one place and having a place to upload the newest one. Uh, you can also send an investor to that site very easily so that they can pick and choose what they want to look at. I I just really like Gust for that reason. I, I've never seen anybody get an investor through Gust, but I've seen people use Gust well to talk to investors that they communicate Make with. it easy. Make it yeah. easy for people to help you and you will get more help with that. Terry, thank you so much for joining me. I'll catch up with you down the road. You're welcome. Yeah. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.